I heard that somebody texted Jim and gave him grief about not being here last week. I didn't text him. I said it in person. Oh, you said it in person. <laughs> With a rebuke? With a rebuke. <laughs> oh, that's funny. So, so if you have the stump me questions, write them down because he'll be here. He will be here today. Do you know what I mean? Although something tells me nothing really stumps him. Or if it does, he just talks. Right? Okay. Let's, let's open with prayer and, and then we'll get started. Does that sound good? All right. Father, we just thank you so much for being able to gather together. I thank you, Father, that that you just, you've gathered us as your children and you pour out your love on us. And, oh, you're so merciful and so faithful and so patient with us when we go astray and when, when we question you, when we struggle with our unbelief. I, I just, I, I marvel at how much you want to pour out your rest in our lives and, and to us and that you want us to enjoy just just basking and resting in, in your will and in your perfect will and in your presence. And you just eagerly wait for us to come into your throne room of grace so that you can, you can pour that out on us and um, you don't grab us by the neck, although sometimes it feels like you are. And I, I thank you for that. And I thank you um, that you're just, you just don't give up on us and you constantly are working with us and refining us and teaching us and reproving and rebuking us, and it, but it, exhorting and encouraging us at the same time. Uh, Father, it's, our relationship with you is, is such a precious gift, and I pray that we never lose sight of that. Um, Father, as we continue to move forward in, in, in Hebrews, where we're getting to some difficult passages, and sometimes they're confusing, and I wish it were more clear. But yet at the same time, I know um, I'm, I'm being encouraged, I'm being convicted, even in those passages, I'm not sure I really understand what you're trying to say. And I pray that that's true for everybody in here. Father, I pray that each of us, I know nobody in here is guilty of a completely hardened heart. We may have pockets, and where we do, I pray that your word would just penetrate those pockets and cut through and reveal them to us so that we could come before you and repent and turn in another direction and experience more fullness of our relationship with you. Bless our time, Lord. Just pour out your spirit in here that we can understand, that we can hear you. I know you're speaking, and I pray that we would just have open hearts and open ears and to hear what you want to say to us this morning. We pray these things in your son's name. Amen. Okay. All right. Well, as you looked at this week's lesson, if, I, I think you can see how this week really ties into last week that we could have very easily taken last week's text and this and combined them, except that that would have been a lot of material to cover and have been a little bit overwhelming. But even with that first word, when he says, therefore, we know that it's tying back. Remember those therefores. I've said something, and I want you to remember what I said because I'm going to continue to say something about it. I'm going to build on it, or I'm going to draw a conclusion. So he is referring back to what he just said. What did we learn last week? If we could sum it up briefly, what, what, what did we come away with last week, some main points? Yeah, don't harden your hearts. Who hardened their hearts? 
Israel, Israel. And so he was putting out that example. He said, remember those who, who saw my works and yet hardened their hearts in unbelief and in disobedience? They failed to enter my rest. They did not get to go into the promised land. Their children got to go, but they didn't get to go. So don't be like them. I'm giving you this negative example to encourage you in a positive direction so that you are not like them. Anything else that you recall that we learned last week? Continuation of the urgency today. Today. We see that this week, don't we? In fact, if I just jump ahead for a minute, if you look at this week, if you just, you know, we talk about these key words, but what one key word really stood out to you that was all over the page this week? Rest, wasn't it? And didn't we see that last week? We saw it. So we're going to, I told you last week that he was going to continue this discussion of the rest. So we've already seen, and we'll see it again this week, that they, they didn't get, they didn't enter. They failed to enter the rest. And why did they fail to enter? Yes, because of unbelief. He's very clear about that. Yet, we also saw a sense of urgency, didn't we? And we still see that. That sense of urgency is there as we unpack this because we keep seeing this word today. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. The offer is still out there. It's still on the table. Don't miss it. Other thoughts that you want to draw upon from last week? Okay, let's start unpacking this week. First of all, here's what I want to ask you. I'm going to kind of go backwards. As you did your homework this week, what questions, when you came away from it, when, you, when all was said and done, what questions did you have? Did you have any questions, or was it clear to you? Yeah. Did you get confused with? Okay, so, so what you, Alex is saying is I can see that there's more than one rest, but I'm very confused as to what are the different ones and what exactly are they? Is, I said, there's, yeah, there's going to be more than one rest, yes. Other questions? Was that first, confusing to you? At first it was, and then I started looking at it further. And like, okay. So, yeah, but. Sometimes you have to slow down. Oh, and you have to slow down. I have to slow way down. You have to slow way down on this one. Yeah, you have to slow down. Karen? Joshua? The name Joshua? Yeah. It confused you a little bit, who he's referring to? Okay, well, we'll talk about that in a minute. We'll clear that. Those are questions I can somewhat clear up. Other questions? Did you have questions kind of left over from last week? Oh, gosh, you guys are AP class then. 
No questions. Or are you just so confused you don't even know what your questions are? <laughs> Okay, did you hear Kay? I don't think you heard the beginning of it. She was saying the whole concept of rest is hard to, to get a hold of. Because it, it's kind of like, okay, now mm -hmm. how do these two intertwine? Yeah. Right. Right. Okay, anybody else? Okay, well, let's just see. Let's see how AP you all are as we, we go through here. How's that sound? <laughs> Okay, both the Israelites and the Hebrews heard good news, did they not? The Hebrew, the Israelites, there's what they heard. Well, first of all, what did they hear? What was the good news that they heard? The promised land. I've taken you out of Egypt. I was delivered you by my mighty hand from the slavery of the Egyptians that I might take you into the promised land that had been promised for, for hundreds of years. I've promised this all the way back to Abraham. Abraham, he said, I'm going to, Abram, I'm going to take you to a land that I will show you and I will give it to you and to your descendants. So this is something they had been looking for for a long, long time. So that was their good news. What is the good news when it says, and we also heard good news? What is the good news the, these readers had heard? Jesus, right, is the gospel of Jesus Christ that there still, there is today. There's still a day of salvation. We saw that last week. And it is in Jesus Christ. So they both heard good news, but what the Israelites heard didn't give them any, any benefit because they didn't unite it with, with faith. So already right here from last week in these few things that are said, I can see that rest is very tied. It's tied intricately to belief. You all see that? Okay, it's very tied to belief. Exactly. So, what else did you learn about rest? Let's just build it here. What else did you learn about rest this week? Who enters rest? Who gets it? Yeah. So those who, again, tied to the belief, those who believe, enter. Enter his arrest. He says that right here. For the good news came to us just as to them, but the message they heard did not benefit them because they were united by faith with those who listed. Listen, for we who have believed enter that rest. As he has said, as I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest, after, although his works were finished from the foundation of the world. Okay, right here is where he begins to go into the different rests. Could you see them? What are the different rests? What's the first one you see? Creation. I'm just going to say the seventh day. Is that okay? Is what happened at creation? If I went back and read in Genesis, what happened? Yeah, 
When each day, if you go back into Genesis 1, you will see that at each day, he created parts of, of all of the universe and creation and then say, and there was, there was um, evening, there was, how does it end? There was evening, there was night, and that was that day. But at the end of the last day, it doesn't say that. He rested. It says he rested. So what is he still doing? Is he still working or is he still resting? Oh. She goes, oh. <laughs> is he resting in his completed plan, his walking out from the foundation of the world? I don't know. I'm asking you all that. Well, that's what we're asking you. Oh. <laughs> but I'm asking you. I asked first. <laughs> Go back but to. You're smarter than us. No, I'm really not. I just, I just spend more time. Okay, if, you, if I go to two, three, I mean, at the end of each of these, it was, and there was an evening, and there was a morning the third day, there was an evening, a morning the fourth day, and then in two, one, thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them, and on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it God rested from all his work that he had done. So let's, let's just look at that. He rested, so God, on the seventh day, he rested. Why? Because he was finished. Doesn't it say that right there? What about John 5.17? What does it say in John 5.17? I know. Did that just absolutely confuse you? If, yeah, it does, doesn't it? Okay, BB says it's a different kind of working. How is it a different kind of working? Okay, okay. Other thoughts? It is very, was everybody else confused by that? I was. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's hard. Okay, hang on. Hang on just a second. It's a rest, not a rest what? It's not a rest from work, but it's a rest in work. Okay, a yeah. rest uh, in work, not a rest not from a rest work. It's not rest in activity, but the harmonious working of all facilities and affections of will, heart, imagination, conscience, because they've all found in God their ideal sphere of satisfaction. Okay. Okay. What were you going to say, Lucia? Yeah. 
Mm-hmm. 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 Okay. But what do we do with this? Because keep, keep reading. If I keep reading in the text, it says, For he has somewhere spoken of the seventh day in this way, and God rested on the seventh day from all his works. And then if I go on down in verse 9, So then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God, for whoever enters God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. So I know in Genesis, I'm just putting the, the, I'm just going through what it says. Jim may want to tie him here. We're just giving you an FYI, Jim. Um, that God rested. He was finished. He was finished with his work. And it appears, at least, that he is still resting. That the Sabbath day has not ended. He's still resting. Although, then it says, as, as you said, but he's working. Jesus says the Father was working as I am working. Mm-hmm. There's, there's, again, the dichotomy. Okay, we're to enter this rest through belief, but now let's strive and labor to enter it, right? Yeah, that's what makes this, this, these passages hard. Yeah, Jennifer. Well, one thing we can definitely say is he, he finished his work. It says that. He finished his work. The work of creation was complete. It was finished. He rested from his creative work. Can we all agree on that? Okay. So he was done. He was finished, resting from his creative work, enjoying the Sabbath, of standing back and saying, look, all that I created is good. It is very good. And now, now I will rest in it, and enjoy it. Okay. Let, let's back up and just unpack all the different rests, because I know people were, had a little hard time with that. So here's the first one, right? Here's the first one. What's the next one that is mentioned? Okay, the promised land, the rest of Canaan. Okay, and we looked at that last week when we saw the negative example of the Israelites that they were not able to enter in because of unbelief, right? What else? Who all, what, what other rest? What, what comes, what's the next mention? Well, we saw that right here. Okay, David, actually before David, there's another one. Joshua. Here's where you were struggling, Lynn. What kind of rest did Joshua offer? Under Joshua, what rest was there? The land, they went into the land. The land that they were promised that they were to go into and experience rest, Joshua took them in. And yet it says here, if Joshua... Had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. 
When he says that, what, what's the implication? What is he saying? This wasn't the ultimate rest. This was the rest they looked forward to, but it wasn't the ultimate rest. Canaan was not the ultimate rest. Does that make more sense, Lynn? Yeah, absolutely. Then comes David, because David is speaking in Psalm 95. Where are the people? When he makes this comment, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as those did in the wilderness. Where, where are they living? They're living in Canaan, aren't they? They're there. They're in the land of rest. Again, what's the implication? There's still a rest. There's still, Canaan's not the ultimate end all of all things. There's still a rest because he's saying today, today, the urgency, again, what Jennifer said, the urgency, there's an urgent message to be heard. Hear his voice, respond in, un, in belief, not just in I, I hear what you say, but I really trust what you say. I'm willing to commit myself into your hands, into your will. I believe you and trust you on that level. So today, if you hear my voice, believe and trust me on that level that you'll not fail to enter it, okay? They wouldn't be struggling with this at all. I Probably think not. They would have gotten it a lot better because that's their history. That's their oral history, their written history. That's uh -huh. what they would have heard. Mm -hmm. Synagogues, I mean, they would have, it would have been harder. Right, right. Yes, I agree. And that may be why some of why, I mean, I, I'll be honest with you, I backed myself into a corner in confusion on this one. I texted a friend last night about 10 o'clock and said, my brain just hurts <laughs> from studying rest. <laughs> I was not resting. <laughs> Brenda, what were you going to say? And, see, and so you brought up a very important point that I keep saying every week, and I know I'm being repetitive, but I want you all to hear it. You've got to every week say, what, what is the author's intended meaning? Who is he writing to? What are their circumstances? What did this mean to them? And what was he trying to communicate to them in order to understand it? You have to step back and say that. The last thing, like I said last week, the last thing you ask is, what does it mean to me? Did you have a comment?
Yes, seriously, they, they do. And then you stop at every floor. You don't want to. There's not a lot of tall buildings. Yeah, yeah. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God that is work within you. And so it's, it's, they see it much more like integrated. Like again, because we want definition. So can I tie my shoe? Can I carry a barrel? Can I? And, and we're trying to figure that out. Even with rest, and the only way we know, like in our brains, it's a human problem. When I say pharisaical, I mean, it's like, it, we would do the same thing. And so as we're sitting here talking about rest, it's a, Heaven will be not. I won't do anything. I'll literally just do this, mm -mm. and everyone will do everything for. No, I guess not everybody. I don't know who will do everything for me. And I think <laughs> God would look at you and go, like that is so not the way I made you. So work does not. It's, it's interesting. The curse is not against mm -mm. work. Mm -mm. The curse is against the futility of work. And mm -hmm. rest. trying to figure out something and then we go physical or spiritual. Yes? Mm -hmm. So it's a little bit, it's, I, I just, I don't know. I mean, I just, I don't even have an answer yet. I just, as I was hearing us talk and as I was going through this in my mind last week in Mexico, I just kept thinking, wow, we always are, we're still trying to figure, we laugh at the, at the sabbat button. But we do the same thing. Well, I think you hit the nail on the head, and maybe that's why it's so hard for us. I think that's really profound what you said. We don't really understand what rest is. No. It was the futility of work. It was that you would work hard and produce nothing. Right. And there's something undoing your work. Yeah, there's something, and it's, it's a unproductive work. Yeah. Work, is, work came before the fall. Adam and Eve were to go out and work. To tend the garden. So am I married or should I, should I rest in my marriage or work at my marriage? Yes. Exactly. <laughs> yes. Do I get a star? But that, but literally, no, I agree. Though, is it, should I, this I think can help me get to answer some of the questions that four brings up, that three has, that six has, that ten has, um, is this idea of our salvation, do I rest in it or work at it? And the answer is yes. It's a resting. It's a it's a resting work. It's it's kind of recognizing what I can do and what I can't do. Yeah. And resting in what I cannot do, what has been done, and working in what I can do because it is is work in me. And it's kind of pulling these things. Now I'm getting into what I want to talk about. It's kind of pulling in these things together. Yeah. But it's that fascinating how anything that seems hard. Yeah. And I think that's wrong. I agree. I agree.
Or say two works. Four, four works. Yes. Okay, Norma's wanting to say something. It's an integration. Yeah. It is work. That goes back to we don't understand what the word rest means. We think rest means I just lay back and do nothing. God yeah. says I'm resting, yeah. but he also says I'm working. Well, he's resting from, he's resting from creating. He's yeah. resting from creating. Yeah, he's resting from creating. Like that, he's, he's yeah. ceasing. To rest is to cease. Yes. So I'm resting from working on the making of creation. God doesn't rest from work. He rests from creating. Right. Could we also then go, let's go to Jesus and his work. What did Jesus say when his work was done? It is finished. But what is he doing? He's working. So now we have the Holy Spirit, and that's why I'm saying Yes. Yeah, do you see? 
I think it's our, I agree with Jim, it's that we've gotten ourselves confused with what rest really is. So I think we're, just let it lay there. If you confuse, just let it lay there. He rested from his work of creation, and in that respect, he's still resting. That work is done. Yes, he is still working. Sometimes we're, when, I wonder sometimes if in our trying to overdefine it, we've just lost the simplicity of it. Yes, yes. Okay, so we've got creation, uh, a creation rest, rest in Canaan, the, the rest that Joshua gave when he led him into the land, and the rest that is mentioned by David that today it still exists. What other rest is mentioned here? No, yeah, yeah. Yeah, well, the Sabbath rest, and what, give me a time frame for that. That's what I'm looking for. When is, when, when? When is this offered? What word did we keep seeing repeated? Today. Now. All right, it, that wasn't a trick. That really was not a trick question. <laughs> yes, today. Today. It's now. Yes. Today there is a rest. What does he say? There remains, therefore... <laughs> A Sabbath rest, a Sabbatismos for the people of God. For whoever enter God's rest has also rested from his works. So what is this rest if I define it? It's a rest from my, his works, my works. And what does that mean? How am I resting from my works? Trying to save ourselves, right? Trying to save ourselves. That's, that's some of why I liked what Jim, when he brought up the pharisaical thing, when he first said that, I thought, huh? But, but it fought, ties nicely with seven, with question seven, where you looked at, come, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I'm gentle and lowly in spirit, and you will find rest from your souls. He says this in the midst of dealing with the Pharisees, who, as Jim said, were placing this incredibly heavy, burdensome yoke on them of all these rules and laws and regulations that they could not keep. And he's saying, my burden is easy. My yoke is light because what is his yoke? When I come to Jesus, how do I come to him? How do I receive the rest that he has given? Come on, y'all know this. It's... Christianity 101. Yes, by believing in Jesus Christ, by trusting in and putting all of what my hope, hanging my whole hat on the fact that it's his work on the cross that saves me. Nothing that I can do for me. It's his blood that justifies me, not anything that I do. That's how I enter his rest. And so in that respect, today, today, that day, today, that offer of salvation is available. It may not be tomorrow, but it sure is today. It is today. So Hebrews, listen up. Anybody in this congregation that has not made that step, make it. Make it now. Does that make sense? Okay. Questions, comments?
Oh, that's a great exercise to do. And what kind of pronouns did you see? In what verse are you looking? I think it's still talking about the Israelites. It came to them. Because they were not divided by those who, those who listened, who listened. If this is referring back to when the spies came back, what we looked at last week, who listened? It's all, it was all of the Israelites. They listened to the, the, the bad report of the ten spies. I think you're making it harder than it is, Diane. Okay. <laughs> Did you see any others? Okay, but did you see some others as you went through? Did you keep going past verse 2? And what did you discover? Did you see some like we? We? Isn't that a pronoun? Yeah, okay, so we saw we. Did you see us? Uh, the people of God? Well, I think you're right. He's talking about, you know, we, we, you know, because he keeps referring to them as, as my brothers, my, my, um, those who believe, the Hebrews, and that's we, that's us, we're the people of God. But did you see another one in there? Did you see, like, lest there be any one of you? That's not a we, is it? So there was an any one of you? I like what you did because I did the same thing and it helps, it helps me kind of think through and, and see what, what is he really trying to say. Now, you may come to conclusions, you may not, but it helps me to see what is he, what's the message he's trying to get and who's he trying to get communicated to this group and, and to whom? Or is there more than one message? Does that make sense? Okay. Other thoughts? I think so. I think when he's talking about this Sabbath rest, number one, it's, it's, it's what does he call it? He calls it my, God's rest, my rest. So I think it's a divine rest. I think it is um, the only rest. Let's just, let's take in the rest of the counsel of the word of God. Where do we find rest? Only in Christ.
Because there later he will describe Jesus as our Sabbath. He is our Sabbath rest. Yeah. Right, Jim? You want to add to that? It's, it's not, I, I don't think it's in, it's not about observing a day. It's about a relationship with him. He is our Sabbath rest. We have Sabbath rest seven days a week in, in Christ. Is that not right? Well, a lot of what they were doing, Dan, was, was it was all picturing what would eventually be revealed in Christ. That he is the ultimate revelation of that. And what, what is Sabbath? It's a cessation from, from work. It's a reminder that our salvation rests, and I didn't go study up on Sabbath, our salvation rests in him, in him alone. Well, they didn't need to work for salvation then. It was still by faith. It's always been by faith. Abraham is the ultimate example of that. He tells us that in Romans. He tells us that in Galatians. That it's not by virtue of being a descendant of Abraham. It's not by virtue of observance of the law. The law cannot save you because you will never be able to measure up to it. And he says, look at Father Abraham. We'll go back and, and look at Abraham. Abraham was 430 years before the law ever came. And it says he believed God and God counted it to him as righteousness. Where did his righteousness come from? From his faith. His faith of what he was looking forward to. We look back. He looked forward to the work that would be finished. We look back to the work that was finished. Does that make sense, Dan? Okay. Other comments, thoughts? Go ahead, Case. I know what you're asking. Well, they, uh, what you mean? This immediate context: the Hebrews well, they're wanting to go back. People, you know, they're they just want relief. They want they want relief from the pressure of persecution. Because then they would have they wouldn't have persecution. Uh, I'm not sure I know how to answer that. Did you hear that, Jim? Yeah. Does that make... I'm going to talk a little bit about that. Okay. Second hour. Okay. Because I kind of how I want to begin it. Kind of addressing, I think, some of what you Okay. Okay. So, have her hang on. Okay. Let me know if there's more I can do. Okay. I have to keep coming back to the fact that notion of rest out of my head and not even going there because that's it's looking at the content. Okay.
Well, and I may not be doing the best job leading you all today because I got confused as well. Okay, if, if we think about what is our rest now, what is the Sabbath rest? Number one, it's divine. It's his rest. It is divine rest. It is found only in Jesus Christ. We will all agree on that. And what is the rest we find in Jesus Christ? What do we have in Jesus Christ? Yes, we have salvation. We have forgiveness of sins. But more importantly, what do we have? Unbroken fellowship with God. Is, isn't, that, isn't that what God, since, since Adam and Eve fell, what has God been doing? Working to bring back, to, to affect, to redeem that broken fellowship that happened because of sin and to provide a way to restore fellowship and unbroken fellowship with him. That is, the, that is rest, you all. That is rest. So then how do we strive for that rest? How do we strive? That's, I don't think it is. A, I don't think it is. I agree with Jim. It's not. It's yet. We rest in him, but we strive to enter. It's integrated. How do we strive to enter that rest? Think about these people. They're not experiencing rest, are they? They're not having rest because they're so tempted to go back. God isn't saying your rest is no persecution, is he? He is not saying that. So where is their rest found? It's strive to enter that rest. How do they do that? How do they find that rest? Perceive striving in a different way than it's actually, if you look it up in Strong's, it's to earnestly pursue. It's to earnestly pursue. So earnestly pursue what? Rest, but earnestly pursue what? Christ. Your relationship. Your relationship with him. I had a note about that. Let me see if I can find it. It means labor. Yeah, it does mean strive. Okay, here, let me read you this. It's not a cessation of effort, but rather an obedient, active dependence on God. Isn't that a striving? For, it, for me to have an active obedience, for me to say, I'm not going to strive against this, but I'm going to take my circumstances and I'm going to put it in your hands and leave it there. Is that not striving for you? It's hard. It is hard to do that. Yeah. That's the warning. But if we go, would you want me to read that quote again? The quote is from Guthrie. It's not a cessation of effort, but rather an obedient act of dependence on God. It is embracing his will. It's, it's focusing on him. It is trusting him to take care of their situation. It is our trusting him to take care of our situation. And if you think about striving and focusing in on him, there's no room for mental laziness in that, right? Didn't you all strive this week? Yes. 
you, you strive, but hopefully in your striving to wrap your brain around what is this rest, if it's not, as Jim said, just sitting back and doing nothing, and it's something I strive for, then how do I do, there's the, the mental part, how do I do that? What does that look like? Where am I failing to do that? Because when, when you strive for, I know when I strive for, and it is, a, for me personally, it's a striving too, because I want to, uh, I know this will shock you, I want to take control. <laughs> Shocking. I want to fix it. I want to take control. <laughs> I know that's shocking. But when I can just, I know Jim. <laughs> Jim knows it. Jim knows it on a personal level, right? <laughs> Who? <laughs> he knows. He knows. He just often, bless his heart, acquiesces. But. <laughs> Anyway, um, when, but it is a striving for me to not do that and to put it in his hands. But you know when I do, then there's rest. Isn't there a rest? There's, there's a sense of rest when it's in his hands, when I'm following him, when I resist temptation and instead obey, even when it's hard, the, the payoff, the peace, the rest, the abundance was worth all the effort. I think that's a lot of what he's talking about here. Because these people weren't resting. They weren't, they, they needed his rest desperately. They needed it to be able to victorious live through this. Yes, Phyllis. Consider him. Haven't we, that's the whole title of this course. Consider him. And it takes effort to consider him. What do I consider about him? What qualities? I've got to go study what things about him I need to know and to consider and meditate on and ponder in order to find out who he is, that I find strength in him and trust him, that I can relinquish that control and relinquish my circumstances and put him in his hands and trust him to deal with it, even though the outcome may not be what I, had, what I would desire. Yes, it is. Norma, real quick. And then you find rest. And then you find rest. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. The last, in our last five minutes, let's do these last couple of verses about the Word of God. For the Word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing the vision of soul and spirit, of joints and a marrow, of discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. For no creature is hidden from his side, all are naked and exposed in the eyes of him in whom we must give an account. In what way is the word of God living and active? Okay, so through the power of the Spirit can convict us and direct us. It's not just, it's not just ink on a page, is it? It's, it's, it's God's voice. 
What else? You looked at, at Isaiah 55. It's alive and active because what? When it goes forth, what will it do? It'll achieve its purpose. It will not come back void. Because you're talking the word of God, the same word that spoke and created. So if he could speak and it creates all this marvelous creation that we see, can it not speak and accomplish its purpose? But what else does this word do? This is the scary part. What else does it do? What does it say that it does? It what? Boy, it judges the innermost thoughts. It's a judge. It's a judge. The sword. It's a sword of judgment. It, it'll cut to the quick and, and judge and expose. It says, or naked and exposed. You may think you can hide what you're thinking, but it's not being hidden from God. God's word will expose what's really in our heart. But more importantly, where, where does this, we, we lo- I love these verses. I use them all the time. I pray them. I count on it. I just pray for God's word to be living and active and working in my life. But where, where in the midst of Hebrews does this fall? There's, it's not without design. I don't think it's without design that these words about God's word being alive and active, sharpened and intrusion sword that will leave you exposed and naked, where does this fall? In the midst of what? All the discussion on rest in, in what? In the, somebody said the warning? In the midst of the warning that you not fall back. So why, why did he put it here? What's he saying? If you do what? Okay, okay. Do you all agree with that? You think that's what he's saying? Jim does. He can see everything. So lest there be any one of you who has an unbelieving heart, I can see it. Okay, you may be able to go in in the midst and hide it from everybody else and go through the motions, but I know. I think, I, I mean, I think he's saying a lot of what all of you are saying. That, that's what stood out the page at me. Lest there be any one of you who has an unbelieving heart, I can, I can see it, and I know. You may hide it, but I see it, and I know it. So today, if you hear, your vo- if you hear my voice, don't harden your heart. Don't miss the rest. Believe. Trust there be any one of you in there. That's what I'm hearing him say. Jim may disagree with that, but I, that's what I'm hearing him say in this. Does that, can you all see that? Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Yes, yes. I think he's saying I can cut past the surface of of any outward appearance of religion and I can see what is the spiritual reality that's going on in your heart. Questions, comments as we close? Keep wrestling. Well, wrestling is good. It really is. It's good to wrestle with these things and question and, and it's good for it to be a little bit hard.
It stretches your spiritual muscles, so I encourage you. All right? Let's take a break. One of our problems that we have, going back, um, it's just, it's easy to see it in others. It is so hard to see it in ourselves. So the Pharisees are just so dumb. How did they miss it? How did they not get it? Um, and there's lot, and by the way, there's even lots of answers for that. I think one of the beauties of, of thinking and learning to think theologically and learning to think biblically is truly dealing with the complexities that the Bible gives to us. And we don't do a good job of that. Some of us, here's what I would tell you, and, and, I, and I live this out in my house. My wife is very this or that. What is it? This or that. It can't be both this and that. It's this or that. So what is it? That's oh, a little bit of this and that. I can't believe you just said, and that's my wife. My wife is just very much, boom. Um, and and I, I would even say this. Sometimes life is that. Are, are we for God or against him? Oh, kind of both. No, no, no. He says, you're either for me or against me. So there is a this or a that to life. So my wife is right sometimes. It's, it's good for her to look at me. Um, you can, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll text her and tell her, hey, babe, I just realized you're right sometimes. <laughs> Um, um, so life is sometimes this or that, but sometimes life is both this and that. And, and that's what we need to work on. So it's interesting how this seems, maybe because I'm, I'm, I'm stacking up some of my Bible studies right now, um, and so I'm with some guys doing Hebrews right now. We're a little bit behind, but we're, we're, we're going through Hebrews as well. And so I got this question this morning, and I was just talking about it just a few moments ago in the back. So did all of the Israelites not make it to heaven? Right? They were disobedient. God punished them. They never entered into his rest. Is that heaven or is that Israel? And the answer to that is probably both. So did they all die? I mean, and again, here's one of our problems is that the Bible sometimes describes all, and it means some. Sometimes it means all. You really have to kind of just, I think God says this a lot. Why don't you try thinking? Right? Why don't you think about it for a little bit longer? Right? So, for example, um, two weeks from now we'll be voting. You will be voting. Um, and then they'll say something like this. America voted, and the new president of the United States is. They'll say that, won't they? Wednesday, America voted, and, and, and they Voted for, and then they'll, they voted for them. True or false? Yeah, exactly. Some did, some did. But you, but how many of you like understood what that sentence meant? Like you got it, right? You don't get offended. You don't call the newspaper. Hey, how dare you say America voted and we voted for? And the beauty of this one is pick your choice, right? I mean, <laughs> frustrated on both sides of the fence. So, is it, do you see the complexities of it? And by the way, that's how the Bible talks. So I love this reminder. You know who wasn't allowed to enter in? Moses. Like Moses wasn't allowed to enter in. And it had nothing to do with the vote, ten, the spies. It had nothing to do with that. Moses wasn't allowed in. Different reason. So Moses was one of those who was disobedient. This is a true statement. Moses was not allowed in because he was disobedient. But he's not one of those who died in the desert because he was disobedient. 
Do you understand the difference between that? Like, that's what the Bible actually teaches. He died on Mount Pisgah, overlooking the land. Because his, his condemnation, earthly, not eternal, right? His, the, the God di- condemning him and punishing him was different than the others, wasn't it? So he got to see the land, to- totally different consequence, but he still didn't get in. And that is the truth of Israel's journey. And so it's really important for us to, like, literally to stop and think and to, uh, to recognize the, the consistencies, because the Bible does this. The Bible talks, I mean, this is why Nancy's wrestling with this or why I was wrestling with, with, with this, because we talk about rest, and then we begin to divide rest into, well, it's talking physical. And, and then the other one would be spiritual. And so it's promising spiritual rest, but not physical rest. And a Jewish person would look at you and go, like, so this is something that you're experiencing outside of your body? Like, what would be spiritual that isn't in you? Like, isn't spiritual just another form of you? And aren't you physical? Like, aren't you physical? Huh. So what is spiritual? Right? And the answer is, okay, so maybe we need to be a little more specific about what we mean by spiritual, because that is a, that is a rather loaded term. And Paul talks about fear, uh, physical, he actually doesn't use the word physical, he uses the word like fleshly. And sometimes he uses that word positively, and sometimes it's negatively. Okay? What two beings in the Bible are referred to as a lion? Jesus and the devil. <laughs> right? And it's, I had my students, actually, back at, way back in the day now. It's getting old. All, every year it gets, it gets older. Um, I had my students back in the day. Take a look at metaphors that are used for good and bad. Do is one of them. You realize, like, the do is um, described biblically as God's grace. It's like the do, it just, it's just there. You wake up and it's there. You did nothing to deserve it. You just wake up and the dew is kind of watering the earth. And isn't it just beautiful? And you did nothing to deserve it. And then it's, oh, you Israelites, you're like the dew. Hey, gracious? <laughs> no, what do they mean? Pleading. You're like the dew. That's the way the Bible describes things. You're a stubborn heifer. Okay. It's interesting how these different, what do you, what do you mean by that? So I, I, lo- I had a student one time when he was preaching, and he's describing, you know, that um, sheep are dumb. He was going off because they really are. Sheep are dumb. They're dumb. They have to be led around. They're dumb. They're dumb. They're dumb. And then his next line was, Jesus was a sheep. And he talked about being led to the slaughter. And I went up to him afterwards. It was Jeremy. I went up to him afterwards and said, hey, you might want to have a little bit of a gap between sheep are dumb and Jesus was a sheep. <laughs> but do you see what happens here? So this is why, for those of you, and it's not a bad thing. Truly, it is not. It is not a bad thing. For those of you that are like Andrea, God bless you. I mean, I truly, the woman I love more than any other human being on this planet is like you. So you have no idea my love for you and for that. Truly grateful. So glad I'm not you, to be honest with you, but I thank God for you. So I want you to kind of think through that, the this or that and the both this and that. 
And so here, here's what I want you to begin to think through. Just give me a little bit of space here because I want to take you through a little bit of a journey if you don't mind. So I have relationships. Sometimes I'm now just wanting to put Max, but Matt, Mac, Mac, Max. <laughs> He's Mexican. Okay, so I have relationships, and then I've got mus. Get it? My Muslim? Okay. Uh, I've got relationships to all three of these groups of people. Okay? So I want you to, I want you to, to help me kind of think through this. Um, uh, I didn't, I didn't steal this. It's legit. Okay? It's my wedding ring. Um, I, I'm wondering how I should think about my marriage. So if you could just help me think about this. Um, should I worry about my marriage? Should I worry about if I'm married? Good or bad? Okay? I guarantee you, a lot of you would say, listen, you don't need to worry about it. I know your wife. She's good. You may not be, but she's a good woman. You really don't need to... You don't need to worry about it. Okay, I get that. I'm, I'm really, really glad because here's what I've decided. I have decided that I'm so not going to work at my relationship with her. I'm just going to literally rest. And by the way, by rest, what I mean is be selfish. And just kind of be selfish and lazy is what I mean by rest. Selfish and lazy. And so I'm just glad you're on the same page with me. I'm just going to not, uh, like, work, to, like, do things for her and, like, try to please her and make her happy and ask her what I can do for her, all that. Oh, it's just miserable. I just, I really think that what I need to do is focus more on resting in the fact that I'm married and just enjoy, my, like, I still want to have sex with her and I still want to go on dates with her, like the fun stuff. Okay, I want the fun stuff. But, like, I don't want to have to come home and work. And I don't want to have to, like, in the day, I don't want to have to work. I don't want a job and support her. She can support us. Because I'm married, right? How many of you would go, you're really beginning to get this? Or how many of you would, how many of you would actually say, you don't, it's not that you don't understand rest and you don't understand work. You would say, you don't understand relationships. Wouldn't you? So, okay, let me ask you my question again. Should I, like, be worried and, like, working to try to... So now you're telling me i got to work to please Andrea? So you're telling me? Or what? Or, or, or she won't be married to me anymore? She's so selfish, that woman. Is that what you're telling me? So now I've got to work and I've got to, like, ask her how she's doing and invest in her and I have to do... Oh, eh. This sounds terrible. Like, why can't, why can't she be more, I don't know, me-centered? Like, why can't she be more like that? Like, you know, like, that's the way it should be. And so I'm going to rest and do nothing. And what I mean by that is be lazy and selfish. And I'm going to rest in this relationship that we have. And by that, what I really mean is manipulate and exploit her. How many of you would go... You are a relationship genius. How many of you would actually say, 
that I'm not trying to threaten you with divorce, but that kind of relationship is just screwed up. Like it's just messed up. And I wouldn't actually be surprised if it ends up in divorce. And then I go off on Andrea. What's wrong? Why would Andrea divorce me? Okay, I, honestly, the, the problem, Jim, is that like you don't get how messed up you are. Like, I don't even want to talk about Andrea right now. I want to talk about you. And, and, and all we want to do is talk about, talk about Andrea. Like, somehow it's her fault that she's, why isn't she more loving? Why isn't she more gracious? Why doesn't she understand more? How many of you would just stop and go, okay, dude, listen, I don't want to talk about Andrea right now. How did you get in your head that resting and not working and being confident in your relationship doesn't actually mean manipulation, exploitation, selfishness, and laziness. And the truth is, is that we all understand relationships. We all kind of get it, don't we? And the relationships that fail, okay, our earthly relationships that fail, fail for what reason? Selfishness, laziness, not being diligent. That's truly why they fail. Because why? I don't think I need to work anymore. Think about it. I mean, don't we all experience that in our marriages? I mean, haven't, haven't you gone? I've gone through that stage. I don't, have to, I don't have to work to get her to like me anymore. I mean, I lost her once when we were dating, not married, but I lost her once because I, I still loved her. Like, if you mean by that, I loved how she made me feel about me. That's what I guess maybe I got to be clear about what I mean here. I still absolutely loved how she made me feel about me, and there was no other woman that I wanted to be with. But I wanted to do my own stuff at my own, and I wanted her, because she was still in high school and I was in college, I wanted her to be available to me for anything I wanted when I wanted it. Okay? And that's what, that's what I mean by love. And she went, I'm not doing this. She broke up with me. She said, you're, you're selfish and you're sick in the head, and I'm... I'm there was a cuter guy named Kevin that she decided to date too, but uh, she doesn't like to bring up Kevin. But anyway, um, this, uh, <laughs> I think it was Kevin plus Jim is an idiot, okay? Um, and then Jim was an idiot again, and it was Jim's an idiot and Brian. But anyway, that's a whole other story. She hates me telling this. So the good news is we're recording it, okay? Um, but think about this. Think about, think about how, and again, because we, I, well, I want you to think about this. This is why the this and the that is so important. Is our relationship with God like our relationship with each other? Yeah. And I would argue it is, actually. Now, I might go, now, by the way, in these ways it's not. Because God is different. Okay, so there are some ways in which it's not the same because God is this perfect being. And so, from His dimension, but truly, I can't, I have to relate in relatable terms. And that's why it's not a different word for love. When it says, Jim love Andrea and Jim love God, it's the same, it's the same word. It's the same, I won't even say emotion, I almost said emotion. It's the same action, because love is a verb, not feel, it's do. Okay? So literally, it's love Andrea, love God. It's the same word. And it, I would even argue, like it looks the same thing. It looks the same way. I love Andrea like I love God. You understand how, how critical it is that we 
begin to think about our relationships in similar ways? Okay, now to different beings. So I'm going to relate similarly, differently, depending upon who the person is. So I have um, four kids. So imagine, I, I'll do this one a lot quicker. Imagine I just said to you, ah, so I'm just going to rest that I have kids. Because once you have kids, you can't not have kids. Right? Truly, it's like, it's, uh, there are those that believe you can lose your children, and then there are those that you can never lose your children. And I believe you can never lose your children. So you can never lose your children. True? How can you lose your children? You can't lose your children. Therefore, by the way, since you could never lose your children, you'll always have children, I have decided to take a rest from my children activities, and I'm not going to care for them. The word is love, okay? I'm not going to care for them. I'm not going to feed them. I'm not going to mind them. I'm not going to, I'm not going to do any of those things. Why? Because they're my kids, whether I do that or not. And that's how I'm going to treat them, because you can't not have kids. How many of you would, would, would again go, that doesn't make sense? Like you're saying a true statement, and then when you begin to apply that true statement, you end up being stupid. Really. Like you're not making sense at all. Really. Huh. And I want you to think through this. Because I think this is how we get into trouble and we don't understand a text like this. Because why? Because when we think about rest, we, we, we become pharisaical. I didn't think about that until I was in here with you this morning. And hearing us divide it up. Well, physical, spiritual. Well, it, literally, when, when I hear others talk, and I was thinking the exact same way you were, so I can't point the finger. When I was kind of running through that in my mind over the last few weeks as I was getting ready for this, I just kept thinking, okay, so is it this or is it this? Is it this or is it this? And I never noticed I was being pharisaical in that sense definitional in that sense, trying to carve out, which, by the way, is a very dangerous way to actually think. It's a bit of a this or that mentality, and it's not good to have a this or that when it's a both this and that, because you'll end up wrong. You'll end up on the wrong side of it, okay? Because, yes, you're in a relationship with Andrea. Yes, you should rest in the fact that you're in a relationship with Andrea, and I don't then say, so therefore I should never work. But where would you get that idea from? Well, because I said I was going to rest. Okay, but resting doesn't mean not working. Okay? Resting doesn't mean not working. But again, well, what do you mean? By, I mean, it's totally cool for you, but what do you mean by that? And I say, okay, no, that's great. Let's talk about what that actually means. Okay? So there's a couple of, couple of verses that I want us to kind of think about. Well, you know, any thoughts here? Like how many of you actually think about, and this will be a really healthy exercise. How many of you think about your relationship with God as like your relationship with others? I'll be honest with you. It's, I, that, is a, that is a, I have to like literally stop and think about that. It just doesn't happen naturally. Okay? It doesn't happen naturally. I have to stop and, and think about that process. And I really think that thinking about that, like, you know, here, here's a great question. If God were a human, would he break up with you? Yeah. <laughs> yes. Truly, right? 
And I don't mean Jesus human. <laughs> I mean, because God was a human. His name was Jesus. He didn't break up with us. But if God were truly human and not divine, and, and you, and, and, are you a good, notice the, the analogies that the Bible uses to describe us is what? Bride. That's relational. Family. That's relational. So this is our relationship. Would, 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 would Jesus break up with you if he wasn't divine? Would he go, I got nothing from you. Like literally, I got nothing from you. You act like I don't even exist. I get people all the time like uh, making comments about me as a husband or as a, as, a, as a spouse. I just do. Part of it I don't mind actually. Being a preacher, you kind of set yourself up for that, right? But I got tons of people have total opinions about whether or not I'm home enough or not home enough, or, and, and they love to come up and tell me about whether or not I'm being a good husband or a good dad. You know what's fascinating? I never have anyone come up and critique my relationship with Jesus. And the reason why is because, well, I mean, how do you know about that one? The same way as you do the other ones? Right? I mean, would you not? Would it not be the same way? It would be the same way. You like to be with them? You like to think about them? You like to talk to them? You like to, um, literally, you've got to get over some words to deal with the Bible. Right? God says this very clearly, if you love me, you will, do you know what he says? If you love me, you will what? Obey me. Well, that just sounds so oppressive. I know, but it's actually freeing. Jesus says, if you love me, you will obey me. Yeah, that doesn't sound like a relationship. That sounds like a, no, actually, let me, let, me, let me go back. That actually is a relationship. You hear the word obey, and, and you just don't like it. That's, that's your problem and my problem. Our problem is we just don't like it. And that's the issue. That's how we get into trouble. That's how we begin to even dismantle our own relationship with God and our own personal relationships. It's why it's easier to divorce and start over than it is to work on the marriage you have. Okay? That's why. Man, I'd rather just start over. As Andrew would always say, whenever you know we have friends or whatever that are struggling or go through an affair, my wife always says, I love this line, she always says, you know, I don't think there'd be a lot of affairs if it started by doing their laundry. You just don't ever go, hey, I think I want to have sex with you. I want to start by, by being your wife, i.e. doing your laundry and caring for you when you're sick. And It's not that, is it? No, it's usually just romance and sex. Work it the other way. Nobody does that. Nobody just, we accidentally had sex because I was always doing this laundry. <laughs> it doesn't happen. Why doesn't that happen? Think about it. Because we, we compartmentalize, don't we? We divide this up. We only want the good. We don't want the bad. We don't want the, we want the, we want the path of least resistance. And so these books become very complicated for us. Now, here, here are some key words that I want us to define, and I want us to take a look at. And, I, and, and by the way, there's not, they're not used very many times. Um, uh, one, of the, one of the pieces on rest, the Old Testament word for rest 
actually a problem. Shouldn't have done that. That's the word. So, sabbat is rest. You know what you need to do? You need to sabbat. You really need to sabbat from your labors. You need, so, where did they get the, the word Sabbath, capital S? Right? I mean, imagine Saturday would just call it, be called rest day. If in English, that's what it would be, rest day. Instead, they call it, or they would just call it rest. Sabbat. So God sabbated, if you could use it, God sabbated on the sixth day. Uh, he ceased from his creative work. Okay? Still sustained the universe. <laughs> I mean, still had thoughts. Still, right? I mean, think about that. I don't even know what that means, that, that God sustains the universe. I don't even understand what that, what that is. But I also can't understand how to speak things into existence. So there's lots of things about God I can't fully comprehend. Okay? So God rested. He, he, he sabbated. Um, and in the New Testament, there's a couple of different words for rest. It means, it, literally, it's like the wind stopping. To cease activity is what it means. And so you have to look at the context in terms of what it means and what he's trying to accomplish, okay? Um, the words, though, that I want to I take a look at, the first one is the word for disobedience. What does it mean? And this is where, in our, in our Bible study this morning, Dan was in it. In Bible study this morning, we started talking about, like, sin, and then we all want to talk about falling away. We don't want to talk about the relationship. We just want to talk about can a person fall away or not. Um, it's interesting how when you put it in its context and you begin to really look at the, at the words, you quickly find out you have, a, you have to have a different conversation than just can you fall away or not. That when you deal with the real words of the text, you would go, oh, wow, if I had to use that word, it would be a different conversation. Just like I say rest, okay? Andrea calls it being lazy, right? Have you ever been in one of these? So I've been, I've been accused of working too much most of my married life. That's been my, my wife's accusation. Unless it's Saturday. And I, oh, we, we have some great conversations. It's like, oh, so I'm not working enough. Is that what you're saying? Well, you know what I mean. No, I just want to know. Am I work, do I work too much or not? And we have a great conversation, my wife and I do. Um. <laughs> oh, last night was a doozy. It was hilarious. But anyway, I won't, I won't go down that road. Um, here we are wrestling with kind of the, the, the bigger picture here about what we're trying to do. And so one of the words that I want to look at is the word that is in our text today, which is the disobedience. Right? Isn't it verse 11? Someone read verse 11. Is it, is it used twice? 6 and 11. You're right. It is it's found in 6 and 11. I got it right here in front of me. 6 and 11. So what does 6 say? Who's got 6? Because of disobedience, verse 11. Okay, so here's where we get into trouble. When we don't do a good job of dealing with the definition of a word, you and I look up from the text 
And, and by the way, we don't even, this isn't actually what is known as, it's not just a lexical issue, meaning it's not just the definition of the word. Okay? So it's not just lexical. It's actually theologically lexical. It's both. Because if you look at the text, you'll find out what we mean by that. So here's what we do. So what does it mean to be disobedient? Well, one time my kid looked at me and said, no, that's disobedience. So that's what he's talking about. Well, what else? Well, we begin to describe disobedience and describe disobedience and describe disobedience. And in the end, instead of going down the road that the Hebrew writer is going through, okay, instead of going down that road, you and I go down our own road on disobedience. Major error in biblical studies is grabbing a word and going in a different direction. Okay? Based on what we think it means. So for example, what we usually do is we talk about doing sin or doing something that is wrong or being in any way selfish. Like, do you know that's not what he's talking about at all? At all, at all, at all, at all. It's like saying, um, it's, it's like saying uh, a, a, a relationship is talking to someone. It's just talking to someone. Okay, well, I guess if you want to like dilute it down, I could just walk by and say hi to somebody, and you could say that we related in some way, but that's not a relationship, right? So the problem is, is that there are things that are wrong that are disobedience, and then there are things that are wrong that really don't fit under that, under that category. It's actually both. So here, here's what I love to do. If you have your Bibles, I want you to show you some places where the word is used. I, I almost, I didn't get all of them. I don't think I got all of them on this one, but I got enough to give us a picture of what, of what this disobedience, because the comparison is the Israelites, okay, OT Israelites, and the church is the comparison. Okay, these guys were disobedient, and therefore you should not be. Okay, so here's, a, here's a, someone read to me, Romans chapter 11, verse 30. Huh. So you were disobedient, and we'll, we'll, we'll go back. So as you what? As you were, right? So this is what he is describing, interestingly enough, in Romans chapter 30. He is describing like an unsaved person. Huh. That's interesting. So this, this disobedience, again, we're just trying to build a case for it. It is, it is describing an unsaved person. In, in Romans 11.32. But, but it's you. So it's Gentile unbelievers. Yep. Romans 11.32, since you're already there. Give me 11.32, Tara. Okay. It's to a point or to locate to a one area. But it's the same group that he's talking about. Okay. Let me give you another text, which is Ephesians chapter 2, verse 2. Ephesians 2.2, 2. what's it say? Sons of disobedience. Again, who is he, Paul referring to? 
the unsaved, but by the way, what's interesting is he's actually describing the saved who were unsaved at one point. He's describing their former life is what he's describing, the way in which you used to live, okay? The last one, since you're already in Ephesians, is Ephesians 5, 6. So again, this is kind of one of the biggest things that I've come out of, is however you land on the issue about saved or uh, eternal security or perseverance of the saints or um, the conditional perseverance of the saints, however you land on it, just be very careful that you do not, what does it say again? Just read the verse. Yeah, that's good. Don't let people deceive you with empty words. The two things that I'm, I'm, I'm very concerned about are people that promise people things that they can't deliver on. That is brutal. To walk around and to promise, the Bible warns very strongly about warning peace where there is no peace. And so be very careful promising peace where there is no peace. Um, to assure someone of something that God has not assured them of is evil. Um, hey, as long as you gave a prayer to Jesus when you were 12, you can live your life any way that you want, you'll still go to heaven. That's satanic. Um, but even, but I'll tell you, that's not the first place I was thinking. The first place I was thinking was someone will come in and they'll feel really, really bad about something and they want to talk to me. They're crying in my office. And my, you won't believe this, okay, but I'm telling you the truth, okay? My first instinct is to make them feel better. And about six years ago, God went, what are you doing? They need to feel terrible. And you're getting in my way, so will you just stop it? I went, you are so mean. Like, be very careful comforting someone. Now, by the way, here's when you know it. You really know it when you're mad at that person. You go, you will go, you will come unglued if I try to comfort someone you think needs punishment. You will come unhinged. I promise you, you will. Especially you mamas. I, I, I let your kids stay in their sin for one second longer, and you, mama bear, all over the place. How dare you? You're not empathetic. You're not compassionate. And I would argue that that's a kind of a human condition, okay? There are many of us that try to offer peace where there is no peace. We try to offer this. We do. We, we, do, we, go, to, we go to extremes to, to try to get around this, and I, I think it's empty words, so that text actually says, like, there are those, and God's wrath will come upon those who are disobedient. Okay? But what does it mean to be disobedient? Okay? Well, look at what he's describing. I mean, he's describing these people. Which, by the way, is not just a condition. It is also, so it's not just like a, um, like a uh, uh, what's it want to call it? It's not just a status. Are you saved or unsaved? I'm just describing your status. Married or unmarried. 
married. Okay, that's just a status. Good wife or crappy wife? That's a different question. <laughs> Nobody puts that one down. They just want to be married or unmarried, not are you a good married person or a bad married person. Imagine if we had to quantify or qual qualify in the sense of, you know, figuring out the quality of. Like, so this is not just describing status. It's actually describing way of life. So it's not necessarily describing like a point in time. It's like a position. And that's why probably one of the best words to describe this as the way of life, well, tell me how we were. I mean, this is the beauty. What was it like before you began to follow Jesus? Wasn't it just not following Jesus? Yes. Selfish, self-absorbed, not God-directed at all. Okay? The word, actually, the, probably one of the closest words to get at the heart of this is the word obstinate. And that's what he's warning against. You're kind of, you're bowed up all the time. Sure. Yep. 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 Which, by the way, yep. And, yes, but here's what, it, it, what Tom's about persuaded. This is where we, I, I totally agree with you. But it, believing, believing is the act of trusting, not the act of thinking about trusting. And that's where it gets into trouble. So Israel did not get into trouble. When, when it even describes things, for example, like there really isn't a word for commitment. The word is actually believe. And, and we have so reduced believing into the, the cognitive aspect of. So I totally agree with you. It's a, it's the, but it's, no, but it's the, it's truly the act. Like God, when God says, for example, it's a little bit of the difference between hear and listen. And we get confused. I mean, my kid, I heard you. No, you didn't hear me. Because if you would have heard me, you would have moved. Because I told you to take out the garbage. No, I heard, what do they mean? Like, sound waves went from your very loud voice, and they hit my ear. And I'm, and, I'm, and I'm going, that is so not what I'm talking about. Right? The same thing is true with believing. That's what it means to believe. It's not, yeah, it's dynamic. It's, but not, but they didn't hear. But literally, it's the same word. They heard, but they didn't hear. They didn't act. Yes. Yes. So this is the issue is that what the Bible seems to be describing, and, and, and for example, going back to what it's really addressing. Now, I, I, I don't even want to answer the whole question about can a person follow where, and I don't really even care. What it is warning against is not this long list of things that you and I can so relate to. You know what I cannot, honestly, you know what I cannot relate to? I cannot relate to obstinance against the Holy Spirit. Obstinance equals disobedience. Yeah, it's 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 the it's not it's it's not a saved quality. If you're obstinate, 
but it doesn't matter what it means to you. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, no, it's just when you go back to, I mean, notice how, notice how this fits. What is the, we've now heard it now twice. What should we not do since it is the day of salvation? What we should not do? Harden your hearts. To harden your heart is to what? To be obstinate, to be disobedient. This is what he's warning against. Because by the way, what happens to these people? They're condemned. Now, whether or not they were never, I'm just telling you, disobedient, obstinate people are condemned. So don't be that person. Okay? However you want to get there, don't take away the warning. Okay? I, love, I still love to ask people this question. When have you ever warned somebody to not do something that they could never do in the first place? Give me an example of a warning you gave that made no sense at all because it couldn't even happen. No, but it could happen. But tell me a time when you said, for example, tell me a time where you said to somebody, hey, be careful you don't fall off the face of the earth when you drive out into that direction. You ever done that? Or would you go, well, I wouldn't do that because you can't do that. Just, just give me a warning that somebody gave, okay, that couldn't happen. We don't do it. Cannot think of one. The time in which we, man, you really, I, when I tell my son, hey, you really got to be careful you get good grades in college. Guess why? Because it's a very real warning that they won't. I've never warned, I've never warned my kids, hey, be careful that you won't end up on the moon today. My, honestly, my kids would look at me like I was crazy if I, if I gave them warnings that made no sense whatsoever. So what does he tell us to do? He tells us to, since we should not be like this, so we should not be obstinate, which uh, here, here's the part is, I want to go, well, I'm not obstinate. And I think the Hebrew writer would say, well, then great. Then strive not to be obstinate. No, but I'm not obstinate. I know. You need to make sure. You need to strive to not be. So let's look at this word here. Um, take a look at Galatians 2.10. This is the word for strive. What does Galatians 2.10 say? That's the word strive. Eager to do. Same, same Greek word. They, they said, hey, you know, we were telling him about what it means to be saved, and they said, hey, just make sure you continue to strive to take care of the poor. And Paul goes, man, I'm always striving to take care of the poor. Why, Paul? Because if you don't, you won't think you'll be saved. What are you, from America? That's such a, Paul says, I strive to care for the poor. Hmm. Ephesians 4.3. Here's another strive word. I love it because sometimes you'll go, wait a second. But that, I, can, I don't see the word strive in there. I know. It's the joy of an English translation. Ephesians 4.3, who's got it? Uh, he tells them this is what, be patient with one another. Be eager to what? Maintain the unity. 
Now, what's interesting is, like, are we not already ontologically unified? And the answer is yes. We are one. You know that, right? Like, we're one. Whether you like it or not, we're one. We're one family, one body. So we should do what? Eagerly strive to be one. But I thought we are one. You see how I began with my illustration? Am I married or not? Should I work at being married or not? Should I work at caring for my kids and being a good dad or not? But I am I or should I? The answer is what? Yes. Like strive, be eager to maintain unity of the body. Now, here, here's some fun ones. This is you'll love this. 2 Timothy 2.15. Buckle up. Actually, it's not a buckle up because you're going to feel bad. You're going to buckle up and go, oh, this is, ah, you'll, you'll have like an aha moment. 2 Timothy 2.15, what does it say? <laughs> it says to Timothy, like, strive to present yourself. Okay, but I thought Jesus, I thought I was already. You know what Paul would say? You are. And now you strive to. See, I think we are more, in a saved way, okay, selfish and lazy than any of us want to admit. We default to it. Water, water electricity, and Jim Johnson. We just default to the path of least resistance. Paul, I mean, I can, I can imagine... If I were to preach that to somebody, man, you need to work hard to present yourself. Oh, legalism, that's so legalistic. How dare you? I'm just reading the words of Paul. I had, I had another pastor, and I won't say who it is because it was Drew Moss, and he hates it when I <laughs> use his example. Um, I was arguing, Drew is preaching on singleness this weekend, okay? And he asked what our attitude about, about, um, about you know, in terms of married and singles. And yesterday in our staff meeting, I said to him, I said, um, I believe that it is my obligation to live as though I'm not married. And the staff went off on me about it. I, how dare you say that? That's just wrong. It's just irresponsible. It says, oh, 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 I'm sorry. I was just reading 1 Corinthians 7 when I said that. Paul says, what I mean is this. Those of you that are married should live as though you're not. So then I explained what I meant by that. I don't mean like... I don't love my wife or care for my wife. I need to Ephesians 5 her, right? Serve her. I need to do all of that. I mean, hear me. I, I have to balance Ephesians 5 with 1 Corinthians 7. Here, here's, what, here's what Drew Moss said to me. Your commentary I agreed with. It was your first statement, which I said, so when I read Paul, you didn't like it. <laughs> but after I explained it, you, you, you agreed with me. And he went, but isn't that true? We kind of love leaving it like open. And by the way, I think both commentary and the reading of the text are both needed, right? They are. Nancy, it'd be irresponsible actually for Nancy to just come up and read without explaining. That's irresponsible. It could, you, make, you might want to make it sound more spiritual, but it's actually both. But there are certain things in the text that we hate. Be, be on guard of labeling everything legalism. 
One statement that, G, that Paul made, which I love, was he's talking about how much we care for each other, and he's talking about how much we care for each other. He says, and thus fulfill the law of Christ. You know that Jesus gave us law, but it's his law. And I'm so grateful that he gave me his law. I'm not freed from his law. Never was. Because his yoke is easy and his burden is light. Therefore, his law is good. It lines up with how I was made. A couple of more fun ones. So I love the Ephesians 2.15. Um, and by the way, whatever Paul is, that's what I am. You want to call it legalism? I guess I am. 2 Peter 1.10. This gets even more fun. 2 Peter 1.10. And who's ever there, stay there, because I want, I want to read one last 2 Peter text. 2 Peter 1.10, what does it say? I love it. It's when me and my reformed brothers and sisters kind of mesh. What, and by the way, they just go, well, that's because we've been right all along. And I'm going, well, da, 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 da. but I, I, I truly, I love this verse. What do you need to do? You need to work hard to, to, to show your calling and your election. Which is interesting because it fits beautifully in a relationship context. It fits miserably in a self-absorbed, um, lazy, manipulative, and um, uh, exploitive relationship is what it is. And, and here's the issue, is what you and I will begin to find out is that whether or not we were really in a relationship with Jesus or we were just exploiting him. That's what you'll find out by the time you're done. As you're, as you're making your election sure, what you're going to find out is either I was using him for something else I really wanted, right? Or else I really wanted him. Last verse is 3.14. Who read that? Diane. So would you read 3.14, 2 Peter 3.14? Yeah. You guys need to work really hard at being spotless and blameless. Do you do that? Or is all you talk about what Jesus Christ did for you? And you never, ever, ever... Tell me if I'm crazy. Maybe we should talk more about what we do for Jesus. How many of you are going, whoa, 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 hey, 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 hey. Hey, I'm not saying that we might not need to have another conversation like five years from now when that becomes self-righteousness. Now, hear me, I get that. But I want to ask you this. Like, are we more, I, I, everybody loves to tell me that we're Pharisees and that we're legalists and that we're, and I just want to go, just show me who. I can't find that person. In a church of over a thousand people, um, I can't tell you the number of times I've had to rebuke someone for being too demanding on the biblical text. And I mean, like, too demanding in the wrong way. Adultery, yeah, I deal with that one weekly. Pornography, deal with that one on a regular basis. Like, I mean, I can tell you a host of issues. Self-righteousness, I'm, I'm all for preaching for it. I think we all need to be on guard about it. But what does he tell them? You need to work at being bl blameless and spotless. You need to work at holiness. And we act like that is just like, ooh, whatever we do, we better not do that. 
Imagine if I said to you, man, I am working so hard. Tell me if you like me or not. And I am working so hard to just be the kind of husband that would make Andrea, like, proud and just, I mean, so grateful that she married me. I am just, I, literally, I wake up every morning, and I just want to know, I, I, and I do, actually, this part's true. I get her coffee every morning, and so when she gets out of the bathroom, there's a cup of coffee right there for her, made the way she likes it, okay? How many of you are going, dude, you really need to be careful with that. Like, you just, that's, that, that's you know what's going to happen? It's just the way you're acting is just really... Why, why don't you do that? The truth is, honestly, it's because I, I really think it's because we like Andrew more than we love God. Or the people in our lives more than we love God. Imagine if I said to you, man, I'm so trying to please the Lord. Like every day I wake up and I want to please him and I want to I be with his people. And I want to, I mean, I mean, I don't miss a Sunday. I don't. How many of you would go legalist? How many of you go, well, I do, and are you judging me? That's what we do all the time. I give you a story of what I do for my wife. You, 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 you literally, you're going, wow, that's so good. I want to be like that. I start talking about it in my relationship with God. I'm conceited. Right? Yeah. Why? What's interesting is the one word I didn't get a chance to go off of <laughs> is a word that's actually used in the text. Do you know why we are supposed to do this, not be disobedient, to be on guard? You want to know why? It's because our relationship with God, you know what we are to do? That's what you don't like. But hear me, when I say, whenever I say you, I, I always mean us, okay? We don't like that. That's what the text says. Fear the Lord. Do you fear Him? Because when you fear Him, all of a sudden, when you know you're in a relationship with Him, like there is rest. Like the fact that I'm not at war with God is restful to me. So the, I guarantee you, you learn to fear God, like, and I mean, fear the Lord. And then you realize that God's not at war with you, you will know rest in your soul. When you realize what Jesus Christ has done for you, and you fear the Lord, and then you find out he did that for you, you will rest. I, I mean, you will. You won't, you'll think it's even dumb to talk about whether or not it's this or that. You'll go, I'm talking about something that is happening right now inside of me. That's what the Hebrew writer is actually getting at. He's not arguing about legalism or not legalism. He's going, now that you have this peace with God, why would you go to war with him again? Why would you pick up swords and try to attack him again when you're at peace with him? They go, we're not doing that. No, but you will be, actually. This is what he's driving at. And just for fun, in Ephesians 5, the word respect this is just literally just mind candy. Did you know this? Andrea is to fear me. Same word, phobetomai. We, we translate it in English, respect, which I don't even think is a bad translation. I'm just telling that, that's why you got to be really, really careful. I think it means more respect and have reverence for literally 
But our, our English translations translate it respect. It's literally the word fear. Andrea needs to fear me, which I'll explain to her later. Don't worry. She's like, oh, you don't think I'm afraid of you and all the dumb things you're going to do? Okay. I think it's the same word. Yeah, phobetomai. I think it. No, I think it's the same word, Teresa. Is there another? Okay. What? Ephesians five, twenty-two. Uh, it's the end of the paragraph. It might be the last verse. Thirty-three. Yeah, thirty-three. Isn't that fascinating. It, it's the word phobetomai. Yeah, it's actually fear. In Ephesians five, thirty-three. Again, what I love about the Bible is it forces me to deal with words differently. It forces me to not just have generic words for everything. It forces me to come to life again and to realize, like, obey is a good thing and submit is a beautiful thing. Like, fear is a good thing. Why is it that when I fear God, I just want to bow down and worship him? Like, why is it, why am I afraid of God but not afraid of God? Oh, his name's Jesus. Yeah, 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 it's, it probably would mean more in the line of have a healthy, healthy, healthy respect for. And that's why I don't think I disagree with the word. I think if I were to translate it, I would go, because of the way we use that word, see, every word has like a, a, a range of meaning, okay? So when Paul chose the word phobetomai, it had a range and they knew how to translate it. Does that make sense? When we do it now, it's like, Right? So when we say have a, but I'll, I'll tell you what happens is, is that even when I tell people that we should fear God, they're like, no, we can't do that. We can't tell children to fear God because then they won't like them. So we need to make them into a, into a being that they're not going to want when they're in trouble because he's a marshmallow. I'm telling you, the Jesus that you and I create, the God that you and I create is not big enough to handle our problems. And that's why, and by the way, there's, whenever I say this, I know it's bigger than this. Much of our anxiety is based on the fact that we worship a tiny God. And that's why we don't fear him. If we saw the real one, we'd know what it is to fear the Lord.